This week, we talk about how big to go when moving up market, implementing new internal tools, the stress of a once-per-year sales rush, and how to think about financial metrics. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. So, Rick, uh, have you ever used Notion before? No, I have not. But, well, I haven't used Notion to build something as the host, but I have used a Notion-hosted website as an end user. Okay. So, okay. What have your, so two questions for you just to, I want to talk about Notion for a second. A, what's your perception of like what Notion is? And then I'm going to ask your, your feedback on it. I mean, I've always had in my head is it's a competitor to Google, you know, Google apps. What would you, okay. Do you, do you have a sense of what you would use it for? I always thought of the way, the use case I had was always uh, like a wiki type thing. So, you know, whether that's writing a book and sharing it online or, you know, know, taking notes on things and sharing those notes or an internal wiki for a client. The the main reason I've used Notion is that some some companies use it for their dev notes or documentation notes um, Mm. and help articles or, or like, you know, customer resources. So that's, that's how I've come across it. Interesting. I hadn't even really thought of using it for that. So th- the reason I ask is I just started playing around with it and kind of today made the uh, decision to pull the trigger and switch a handful, s- switch away from a few different things we were using and, and all into Notion. So I think Wiki is one of those things. So we were using Dropbox Paper, um, which I love, by the way. I think Dropbox Paper is the best text editing experience I've ever had. I don't know if you've used it before. I was going to ask who still uses Dropbox. Well, I don't really have file. We do technically use Dropbox for files. I don't really have any files, but paper is this thing that comes with it that it's like a Google Doc, but not. it's, it's like much simpler and faster and cleaner. I, I love the experience. They just have terrible tools for organizing everything. So, But then we're also replacing Trello with Notion. Um, they, so they have a Kanban board? Yeah, it's really interesting. So I'm I'm sure that someone who's thought about it could say this more articulately than I'm about to, but my impression of Notion is that it's um it's documents like you said a wiki or something like that, but the idea is each document is actually a database. You can give it fields and you can even nestle other documents inside of it. And one of the cool insights they've had is if you think of a table, like the type of thing you put in uh, Airtable, and Airtable does this too, right? You can visualize a table in a number of different ways. If you have date fields on the table, you can visualize it as a calendar. If, if you have like tags, you can visualize it as a Kanban board. So it's kind of like this database table Kanban board thing, but every item in it is also this note with a, it's not nearly as good as paper, Dropbox papers, but it has a good enough editor that you can really like do a lot of note taking and document creation in there. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I, it's both very, very cool. There are so many rough edges. It drives you crazy. And it's the downside I see is it's so flexible and so powerful. It's like overwhelming um, getting it set up. Like there's so many, I've tried to use it before and it was, I just couldn't figure it out. And I, f- I think I'm finally over the hump. And are you going to, so what, what actual, what, Without talking about what you're replacing in terms of tools, what are you going to use Notion for at Less Annoying CRM that you're already doing? Yeah, so the things we're already doing, one is an internal wiki, which is pretty straightforward. It's just text in different files, basically. Um, We have a weekly meeting. We were using Trello for it, but actually Trello is not the right fit. So a weekly meeting thing where the company meets and we just need a repository to say, Anyone can bring a topic. So like, as the week goes on, put your topics on this list, and then we're going to run through them in the weekly meeting. We use it for all of our project management, and that the heaviest project management, pr- project management we have is on the dev team. So like, keeping track of, here are our big projects, and then we broke into them down into these little sprints, and then uh, like a bug came in, how do we report the bug and make sure that gets assigned to someone? So all, all of that will be in there too. 
Cool. And then I guess personal notes, um, like, you know, my own meeting notes and stuff like that. Are you guys signing up for the team version? Yeah. So I think it's, we, I always pay monthly. I never pay annually for anything. So I think it's $10, $10 a month per user. So they do the evil thing of saying it's $8 per month if you pay annually. <laughs> yeah. It's very, so some companies are more misleading about that than others. I don't think they were as bad about that, but yeah. Um, so I, have, I had one other thought, like while I was setting it up, I was trying to figure out like, why is this so much harder to set up than Trello or paper were or any note taking app really? And I think um, it's it's actually helped how I think about less annoying CRM because what I realized is Notion is going to be a system of record in a way that with a note taking app, it's just like you, you, you sign up, you start taking some notes and then you're like, I can organize these later if I need to or whatever. With Notion, you're like, I'm going to like make these nested databases and like give specific fields and it feels more, I think, like setting up a CRM where you don't want to set it up wrong, import all your data, and then later on be like, oh, our fields aren't right, because then you have to go back and fix everything. And it I, it kind of gives me this distinction of like how much harder, how much more implementation challenges there are for a system of record versus just a little unstructured. I think it's really about structure. Is it an unstructured data or very, very structured data? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, what you're... Well, the thing I was thinking about when you were talking was it sounds like Notion is almost like a thought manager um, mm. that you can either manage your own thoughts in there, um, which, you know, when you think about one thing, it leads to all kinds of spider webs, you know, um, and then, you know, group thought management. Um, and that's kind of how I'm seeing it now. And I'm realizing that's much more effective than tr- what I use for my own thought management, which is primarily Trello. Um and so I'm kind of interested in it now. Um, but in terms of a uh, system of record being more difficult, difficult, uh, difficult to implement. Yeah, totally. Because you want to provide ultimate flexibility, but the more flexibility you provide, the more complicated it is to configure. Um, and so on, honestly, like the part of the, you know, attraction of less annoying serum probably uh, for your user is that there isn't a, because it is, is less flexible. Um, it, configures very quickly. Um, and so for a smaller business, that's better, but you know, potentially the, the, you know, the, the, the best CRM would, would be smart enough to figure out like, Hey, this is a, this is a small business who wants low configuration, but, Mm -hmm. but, but could also grow with that business all the way to the unlimited configuration. It sounds like notion may have cracked that code. I think they, they did and they didn't. I mean, it's still really hard to get it set up. Um, and they don't honestly provide much guidance. Looking at it, I think uh, when, when I look at what Notion gets wrong, I'm really nervous in the future that my Notion setup is going to get crusty and that, but we'll just be in too deep. And like five years from now, we'll be like, everyone hates it, but it would take too much work to change anything. And I've never felt that way with Trello. And one reason is with Trello, everything seems sort of temporary. Like, oh, we'll just stop using this board and we'll make a new board later. And I've been thinking of that in less annoying CRM's terms. We have this feature called pipelines, which most CRM's have something like this. I've been thinking like, even before this, I need to make pipelines more temporary. Like some will be permanent. There's probably a sales pipeline that is like the company system of record, but it happens all the time where, you know, the marketing team's doing some campaign, they set something up, they still want the data attached to the contact, but it's not like an active thing they're working on anymore. Uh, and we don't really handle that very well right now. So I, I've been thinking, looking at Notion, even though I love Notion, I've been looking at all the ways it's hard to get set up and seeing a lot of less annoying CRM in there and thinking, I, I want to change that. <laughs> so to make it easier on your users. Yeah, to, to let them go in there and just be like, don't, don't worry about your pipeline customization. Just set something up for a, a little project and then archive it later and you'll set something else up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's kind of the main thing I've been working on, uh, is getting the company. I didn't plan on this. This is like me being a terrible productivity person. I had no plans of working on notion and it just consumed my whole week, but it's been a lot of fun. And and now you've, uh, now you're forcing it across the entire company. Yeah. (laughs) I I love it. Like, cause product, anytime you switch product, productivity software, even if you do it on your own, like on your own, like choice, it's disruptive to your productivity uh, for a yeah. period of time, but yeah. like I having it forced upon you by the leader, that's like a whole nother like threat to productivity. In my defense, so we're on the free Trello plan 
And one of the reasons I'm doing this is Trello by itself would cost more than Notion, and we're like hitting up against what Trello can do. But so everyone can keep using Trello for whatever they want, just not for the company-wide stuff. And the same thing for notes. Like if you want your personal notes to be in Dropbox, we're still going to pay for it, but the company wiki is going to be in Notion. So everyone doesn't have to like switch their own personal workflows to this, but I hope they do. They do because, I mean, anytime they have to look up the wiki, they have to go to a different website and learn an yeah. UI. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I mean, I, I think they probably will need to. I'm I'm sensitive to this because I don't know if you got... Do you have an iPhone? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they did an update recently in the last week, and it has totally changed where I go. Like, it moved everything around that I normally use. So I call like six people most, like most of more than 90, 99% of the time I'm calling one of six people mm-hmm. and I have them in my favorites and you used to go just swipe left and then have a list in a, like a, wic, a widget of the faces that you want to call. And I had six faces in there and that was my workflow to like swipe left on the home screen and then click a face. You can't do that anymore. They took away the favorites widget and that blew my world up. So now, like every time I want to make a phone call, I have to think about how to actually find the person I want to call, which I hate. And they also added this thing called pins on messages, and it results in you basically losing, missing things um, with bad notifications. And then on top of that, they changed what happens when you swipe right. And so I am very sensitive to to changes that are meant in, in the name of increased productivity, but in the short term, they they create all sorts of productivity challenges. A hundred percent. But it's interesting you mentioned that because that's actually part of my inspiration for using Notion is I do think that if you look at why are old people bad with technology, you might say it's because they were born at a time when this stuff didn't exist or whatever. But that's I don't think that's really it. It's that they they stopped, they calcified at some point. They were like, I know how to use this well enough. I'm just going to stop learning new things for a little bit. And then five, 10 years pass, and it's like too late. There's no catching up at that point. So I do like forcing new productivity tools on myself, even if it's hard. Notion's one of these. Prior to this, I switched my email to superhuman. I think you could debate whether or not this stuff's actually better, but I, I view it as like a way to stay fresh and like, nip, like mentally nimble to do this from time to time. I agree with that. It's, I think it's different when you choose. I think the distinction I'm making is when you choose to change your, your, you know, your workflow uh, in the name of productivity, it's okay. But when someone like Apple, absolutely, like, you wake up one day and you no longer know how to call people because you've been doing like, that's frustrating. I emailed everybody at the company at the beginning of the week and I was going to do a much longer process and do like change management here. And nobody like, had anything to say. So I was just like, well, fuck it. Like I'm, I'm sold on this. So we're going to do it. <laughs> cool. That's great. Oh, hopefully, hopefully no one will get upset about it. I don't think they yeah. will. It sounds like notions yeah. a major upgrade. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's been going on with you? Well, the, the thing that I was, you know, last week we, we talked about how I'd learned that I was getting nervous about open enrollment starting, which open enrollment, which is the time that everyone can buy health insurance in the U.S. starts November first um, in every U.S. in every state, and so it's a big time where I thought I needed to be prepared to grow and market and onboard new clients. When I did some research, I found that only four percent of total renewal of of applications of all for all open enrollment happen in the first week. So. Um, this week's been really dead, especially because it's election year. So mm, no yeah. one, no one, you know, cares. But so I used this week to get all of the um, existing client stuff done. Well, you know what this means is getting a. You know, every year when you have a health insurance plan, you typically um, get a renewal notice um, that says, "Hey, you know, here's the how your plan is changing. One, your premiums going up." Two, uh, you know, your, here's how your deductible is changing. Here's how your coverage is changing. And with a group plan, it's you know one notice that goes to the employer, and then they pass that through to all the employees in terms of you know you're sending the same message to every employee. With Leg Up Health, because every client has a unique situation, they, their family you know composition's different, their ages are different, their zip codes are different, even their you know insurance companies and plans are different. There's a unique notice that needs to go out to each person. And we actually got our notices out uh, to our clients um, 
it, you know, almost sooner than the insurance companies did. So right after they received their um, insurance company notice, we followed up with an email this week that said, hey, you know, here's some information about how you need to think about renewals this year. And we basically said, you know, one, here are the important dates. Two, here's your, what's changing with your plan. And most people had their insurance premiums going down this year, which was kind of a mm. unique thing. Because um, so of, of COVID, I guess? I can't explain it. Uh, I don't have good ec- like an explanation for it other than y- the reason this would happen is that the insurance companies did well last year uh, on claims for whatever reason. Maybe it was because of COVID. Yeah, because there's like no elective stuff or much less elective stuff going on right there now. There you go. There you go. And so the premiums are going down as a result of that. But yeah, it's kind of it's kind of cool to be able to email a client saying, hey, your health insurance premium is going down. That's awesome. Um, so, and then, you know, provided a link for them to you know, start their renewal process. So all those are out to my existing clients. So at this point, they can do one of two things. They can click the link, see all the plans in their area and either stay on their current plan or switch to a new plan. They can self-service that if they want to, or they can, I gave them a link to schedule a call with our team, which is me, um, to go over their options together. That's just sounds like an amazing experience for them. Like, I mean, not that no one's going to similar to how we're less annoying CRM, not like awesome fun CRM. Like what you do is never going to be good, but so much less bad than what, what other health insurance experiences are. That's awesome. Yeah. So the, the other thing that I included, and I, it was a long email, like for each client. Cause one, you know, under the information that we gave them, we said, here's some, per, you know, had a section called personal considerations. Mm-hmm. They, there was a series of questions that said like, here are some questions you need to ask yourself, you know, as you're thinking about whether to stay with your current plan or switch to a new plan or a new, sh- you know, a new plan. And, uh, one of them was like, you know, has your income changed Has your, um, you know, has your, uh, household size changed, but I, you know, I realized like a lot of times people's doctor preferences change or prescriptions change throughout the year. So I added questions mm. like that. There was like, listen, you need, you, you need, if you've got a new doctor that you want to go to or a new subscri- prescription, make sure that it's covered by the, whatever plan you buy, add it to the system. And so there's a long list of those. And then at the very end, after I said, you know, I'm here for you, if you need anything, I put a PS that said, here are some insurance company market updates for Utah. And I listed out like 10 things that were happening in the market that, you know, were considerations for why they might want to switch an insurance company. And so it felt really good to get that information out. Um, I don't think, I don't think anyone's actually publicized that information for the mm-hmm. public even. Um, and it could be a blog post potentially, but it uh, felt really good to get that information out. I'm, I'm, my one concern is that it's a lot of information and I'm wondering if like by being overly helpful and informative, I'm also actually creating negative value. Have you gotten any feedback about that? Not yet. Positive or negative, just no, like crickets after you sent it. I've had uh, one person start their renewal and then another person schedule a, three people schedule a call. My, my instinct, not that I have any clue, is I don't think you're hurting yourself by having more information. I think everybody is so confused by this stuff. I mean, I know more about it than probably like 95% of Americans and just last weekend, I helped Shelly, my wife, with this, and it's it's overwhelming. So I, I don't think anyone's going to look at what you did and be like, I can't believe you sent such a long email. They're going to be like, I actually, if I just read this, I'll be fine. Like, it sounds great. Yeah, it starts with, if you can stand it, please read this email in its entirety. It's it has to, it's too That's funny. It, its purposes are two are two part. But if you can't stand it, here's a link to schedule a call. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's all done. That means that existing clients, you know, the, the work is on, on them now until they come back to me. Um, and because that took a lot of work to get all that together and feel, you know, feel good about the email templates that we were. So, so two things, one, I put a lot of effort into doing it in a way that was one to many, even though it was very manual so that I could next year have basically all this done or, you know, and potentially have it automated if I have a lot of clients. So automated as in like you pull their, you already have like data in some structured database or something. You pull it down, generate the email for like, do they have a family? Yes or no. Send them the email. Yep. Yeah. What's their premium, current premium? What's their uh, renewal premium? You know, what, those kinds of things. And uh, how many, you know, and that's for, doable with no code. Like that would be possible to automate. No. Uh, it, 
is it doable with no code tools? Yes, but it requires usually JavaScript um, to to run the the loops and build and build something, construct something. Um, but maybe next year, who knows uh, what, what will be possible? The the real thing missing from no code are, are, is the idea of f- you know for for loops for nest and then for building nested HTML. So like it's really nested data structures. So you can usually go no code tools are really good at going one level down in terms of here's an object, here are fields. But once you go object, object, hmm. it's like, Oh, this is freaking me. Like I, no code doesn't handle that well. It's funny. Cause it's a super solved problem. You know, there are these things in code called templating languages, which are like a way to, you make a template that generates HTML and it's not like writing real code. I would think the same like principles would apply to a no code tool. I think it will be solved eventually, but for whatever mm-hmm. reason, the most of most of the tools that I've used limit it at one sort of level down of dynamic data. Um, Interesting. So uh, anyway, uh, uh, so oh man, I wanted to tell you something. What were we just talking about? Uh, sending the emails, automating them. Yeah, so I took a lot of time to do that, which makes me feel good about next year, this being a lot less time intensive. But I also, um, uh, you know, got everything done pretty much related to open enrollment. So what that means is that for the rest of open enrollment, unless clients are coming to me with questions or scheduling calls, I can turn my attention now to uh, how do I get clients? And every time I do this, I get this... I don't know if this is just part of the process of being a, a founder, but every time I go from focusing on clients for a week or two, and I haven't, and I and I really haven't done anything on customer acquisition during that focus, I come back to customer acquisition. I'm like, what if no one likes me? There's just like this feeling of self doubt that comes, like that you have to kind of build yourself back up for to get, you know, hmm. willing to put yourself out there. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I'm having this like, oh, I got to switch back to customer acquisition. But what if no one wants to sign up? You're saying like the specifically cold outreach. Like I assume you wouldn't have this problem if it was like kind of low touch marketing where you never really interact with them. I guess that the real problem is that if I'm not actively pursuing new clients with my time, no marketing is happening at this stage I, I guess, of business. Sorry, l- let me rephrase the question. Is this like Rick personally is worried about his feelings getting hurt or is this like doubt that the business doesn't have what it takes? I, I, it's definitely the latter, uh, where it, it's, it's, Hey, will this work? Okay. And you know, yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. I, yeah. I hear what you're saying, but it's like, it's already working. What, what is there to doubt here? Well, I've never been through an open enrollment before. People aren't just showing up and signing up right now, which, you know, I knew wouldn't happen, but because I'm not doing anything about it right now, it feels like, Oh gosh, what if I've waited too long? Hmm. Um, and so, but I also know that if I, the worst thing to do right now is sort of overreact to that feeling and barrage the market, like, you know, kind of. Oh, yeah, just, just slow but steady. This is startup yeah, to laugh. Yeah, right? exactly. This isn't the only year that matters. Yeah. So I will say, I do not envy you having this, like, really, what is it, six weeks or whatever, really critical time, partially because it puts a lot of pressure on you. But also, you were talking a second ago about automating stuff. It's so hard to ship things that run once a year you know like it's testing and all that and then you're about to push this button and you're like this is 20 percent of my job happens right now you know i think that's i think that's really what um what i think this that helps me explain to myself like okay that's why i feel so this is a big shift right i spent I've, Mm -hmm. i've been in super detailed work to click the button and i now click the button and it's done. It's like, oh, great, that's done. But the amount of energy I expended to click that button to make sure everything was right, like, it was just like, oh, my God, I'm exhausted. Oh, And then I'm, now I'm like, okay, now I got to go figure out how to get clients, which is actually like harder in a lot of ways. Yeah. So it's it, like, it's, it's, it's just kind of a, I'm having a day of, okay, I got this done. Now what? Oh, wow, I got to go figure out, cl- get clients ramped up again. Yeah, I've done this before, but... Oh God! What if it doesn't work? Is what if what if I waited? What, what if the, what if I took too long getting the the button pressed? You know that kind of stuff. If I can give you a little therapy session here, like if I were in your shoes, what I would say to myself to comfort like this anxiety is, you were growing the business just fine pre open enrollment. 
Um, I know for most insurance agents, they have to do all their business during open enrollment, but like you've got like, yeah, do get as much as you can out of this, but it's not like this is make or uh, like make or break situation for you. Even if you have kind of weak open enrollment period, January or whatever comes around and you, you'll go find more people. That's no problem. That's, that's what I thank you for saying that loud. That's, that's, I keep having that same conversation with myself, but it's, it's, it's kind of going, getting circular at this point, you know, but yeah, it's, that's the, the point, right? Like, so what I'm, what I'm dealing with right now that's taking me off my eye off the ball with customer acquisition is stuff that's built once. Um, mm-hmm. And so this, all this stuff that I'm building once for is stuff that next year or next month it's, it just gets it's stuff, stuff that literally becomes more of a button click or just a data update versus constructing the templates and that sort of thing. So that's a good point, And I need to tell myself that more. Yeah. Thanks for talking. Thanks for the therapy. I feel <laughs> <Yeah>. better. I feel <laughs> oddly better now, but I will feel much better once I start reaching out to people and, you know, doing stuff, something about it. Yeah, definitely. Cool. What well, else? Um, the only other update I have is I just want to give a shout out. I guess more of a shout out to Lena, who is um, my, my team member at leg up health. Um, Lena is, has been helping me get the guides out and I have a couple updates here. One, first of all, she has done a great job of, Getting helping me get the guides out and, and collecting the data. So we have, you, if you've tuned into previous episode, you know this, but we've released uh, all of the Utah individual health insurance plans and insurance companies um, as individual guides on our website. So there are six individual health insurance companies in Utah this in 2021. We have a page for each of those um, each of those insurance companies with every plan listed. Um, that they are offering in 2021. We also have a, a detailed page for each of those plans that we're going to continue to expand on. And then we also have a, a, a page dedicated to Utah where you can see all the plans and insurance companies in one place. Um, that's a lot of content. Um, yeah, it's, is that like thousands of pages? It's 900 pages. Uh, sorry, 90, 90 pages f- uh, for Utah specifically. But that, okay. that you know, if you multiply that, if we went statewide with the guides, uh, for every state, it would be about a thousand. Um, or, That's actually not okay. Yeah. I, I would have thought each carrier would have like a hundred plans or something, but they all have well, like, it's more like 10. ten or something. Yeah, yeah. cool. Um, so uh, anyway, she has done. She's gathered all the data, pulled the data in, um, and then worked. And now that the templates are all built by me, she's filling in the guides, and she's doing such a great job. Um, there's no way I could have gotten these things out for open enrollment by myself. Um, and as a result of her work, we're actually ranking ahead of select health, the insurance company and ahead of like our, like major players like stride health and health Sherpa. If you search wow. specific plans. So if you typed in like select health, 6,900, uh, you know, pl- plan guide or just 6,900, you like a palace number one. Are you getting traffic to those pages? You know, I haven't looked at the analytics yet. I just, uh, through the test of the search term in this this morning to see how it, whether it was getting indexed and it's it's right there number one without um, even typing in like a pelv. That's awesome. How how deliberate was this? Like, did you do any keyword research or anything? To were you targeting that keyword or were you just like, well, we were going to make these guides either way. Let's see if it shows up. I don't know if people are like me, but um, I search oftentimes when I'm looking for a plan. I'll copy and paste the name of the plan and type it into Google. And oftentimes you can't find anything that you're looking mm-hmm. for. Um, so the idea was, you know, if we, if we have an index of all the plans and we make them publicly accessible, which most people don't, most companies keep that private behind a login. Um, then, you know, maybe people with that plan will find us and then we can maybe make them, uh, ask them, if they will make us the agent on their policy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the original idea, but I, I hopefully, you know, I think people are searching for how to buy individual health insurance in Utah. Uh, you know, how is select health, a good insurance company. And this is sort of seeding um, leg up health as the, as a credible resource uh, in Google's in, engine uh, for, you know, queries related to either select health the, the or any insurance company in Utah's name guide, you know, plan insurance company, that kind of stuff. I I love the model of taking basically a public data set and turning it into kind of programmatically generated content. That's still useful. Um, I mean, if I've never done it, I've never gotten it to work, but it kind of seems like a dream content strategy. 
Yes. And I think where people fall short is they just try to make the data work alone. We're going to end up doing write-ups for every insurance company. That's six detailed write-ups that are custom. And you have to update those, right, with changes. But that is what does this. It's the it's the data plus a really good design of the data with custom write-ups um, on, on the page. Yeah, it's like let the technology do... It's like an electric bike, right? You still have to pedal, but it's much easier and you can go uphill. <laughs> yep. And our, and the competition in this space is people who just let the data go and it's, it's useless to a, a, an end user. Yeah. Very cool. Yep. That's awesome. What, that's enough. That's it for me on updates and everything. It's uh, I turn the table to you. All right. So based on our conversation um, about... Uh, so... We're in this podcast network uh, run by Indie Hackers and Cortland, who's who runs Indie Hackers. Hi, Cortland. Uh, he suggested basically that people like to hear mo- about numbers and money, uh, which like that this is this fundamental thing about the human brain, um, which I buy. I buy that. And kind of there's with, with a lot of business stuff, there's this like secrecy are you not saying the number because you're being secretive in our, in our case, or at least in my case, no. Uh, so given that we're public with these numbers, I figured maybe I'll just say, give an update for our growth in October. Uh, I'm interested to hear from people if these, if it's interesting to hear our actual numbers, if it is, I'll just keep doing it, uh, once a month or whatever. If it's not, I'll stop. (laughs) Um, so yeah, we're, this is the first time we've recorded, um, after October closed. So, Update on what happened. The kind of top line metric I look at, we talked about this maybe a couple months ago, is ARR, uh, annual recurring revenue growth. So how much new ARR did we add minus what we lost from churn? Um, As a baseline here, if we add $30,000 in ARR each month, we can just like pay all our uh, expenses, including giving people raises and, you know, running the business gets more expensive every year. So if we add 30000 in ARR every month, that covers it. Anything above that is, let's call it something like profit, which we can either reinvest in the business or pay ourselves. Um, so last month, we hit 50000 in ARR growth, which was surprising, actually. But I was pretty happy with that. Um, something that I'm struggling with, though, is we have, we're cheating in two ways right now. One is when COVID started, we gave a bunch of our customers, like a few hundred, uh, pretty significant billing extensions between six and 12 months. Like if, if anyone came to us and said they were struggling, we were just like, Here, here's a six months free. A lot of those are ending now. And so we weren't counting them as paying users during that period. And so we're getting a certain amount of growth of just them coming back, which is kind of cheating. So the other thing is we're churning $10 users and we're replacing them with $15 users, which won't be true forever, right? Because we had this price increase. Almost all our current customers are paying us $10 a month. All our new customers are paying us 15 which means even if we break even, if we churn, say, 100 users and add 100 to break even, we just added whatever that comes out to, but a significant amount of ARR from that. So I'm kind of struggling to look at this and say, Okay, we're beating the thirty thousand number that I—that's kind of our baseline target. Will that still be true once these two things stop influencing the number? I don't expect you to have an answer, but that's a question on my mind. <laughs> and what's the? Sorry, uh, thirty. You, what you're trying to understand? What is coming from new ARR? No, I mean I I can. I can do the math and figure it out, but it, I guess it's just, it's deceptive should really be my point. 50,000 new ARR is great. That's like a good number, but a lot of it is coming from these things that won't happen indefinitely into the future. And so a part of me is like, oh, I can, you know, we've had two months in about this range right now. And I'm like, that's the new normal. We're going to add $50,000 in ARR every month. And then the reality is it's going to come back down to, you know, 35, 40 once these two different factors wear off, if that makes sense. Totally. Um, Average revenue per user. So again, we raised prices. Uh, We started the month at $10.10. So basically we had a 1% increase in the amount, uh, the the average cost of each user. Uh, In the month of October, we went to $10.18. So we increased it by $0.08, which... 
at that rate, we add about a dollar in a year, which is cool. That's a 10% increase in revenue in a year without changing anything. <laughs> um, and then the final number I wanted to say is our revenue per employee uh, went from 150000 to 153000 um, That's how much annual recurring revenue we make per employee. I mentioned, I think it was last week, our target is to get to 160 before we hire anyone. So we're, we're kind of below that benchmark right now. As that increases, that'll get us closer to a point where we can make a hire. A higher, and is that a higher in, in terms of customer service or is that a higher anywhere in the company? Um. Anywhere in the company, like this is this is going to be our way of balancing, pro- like reinvesting in the business versus kind of keeping some profit. Um, so, in theory, this will continue indefinitely into the future. If we had to make a hire right now, it would be customer service, but we're just going to see what we need. I, I should all say we're not just going to hire someone because we can afford to, um, mm-hmm. but we we aren't going to hire anyone until we can afford it, and then at that point, we'll say are there any positions we want to hire for a, a kind of product manager type person is another person I've been considering. So, okay. So can I offer some feedback on the growth update just yes. myself? Cause it was, it was a little, um, I think it was a little detailed. Uh, uh, so what, what I think would be helpful, I'm actually interested, would be interested in this. And honestly, I would, I think it's good discipline to report on this stuff monthly, even if you're a solo shot, because it forces you to reflect and, you know, sort of, think about the future and question what assumptions are holding. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I would be interested in is flying up a level and saying, okay, you know, our, our total, you know, our revenue goal for the month was this, you know, and you know, here's, it was, and what, do you know what that number was? Like, yeah, what, actually what I had that written here and I, I looked, well, I wouldn't exactly say we forecast, but um, we are now at 2.9 uh, million ARR. So we were at 2.87 last month. Uh, or at two point eight five, yeah. So, so, so we we exceeded it by about twenty twenty thousand above what kind of our not expe- expectation, but kind of our baseline, like mediocre month over month. Or is that what you went up month over month, or what you were forecasting? Yeah. So, well, uh, we don't exactly do forecasts. Is the thing we just say we need to do thirty k month o- ARR growth month over month. Okay, got it. And everything above that's icing on the cake. Like something when you have investors and stuff like that, you have to project. With us, we're just like, I don't know, we'll just see what happens. You but, know? You, but you do project something, right? Based on like being able to forecast cash flow and that sort of thing. So, yeah, so that's the thirty k number. Is we can pay all our li- all our obligations for it. the next three years if we hit thirty k ARR growth every every month. All right, got it. So um, you beat that by almost double. Yeah, almost. You almost doubled uh, your goal. Two thirds, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I didn't. I I struggled to gather that in the first. first okay, so I didn't articulate that. Well. That might have been might have been just me. So, um, so yeah. So the goal was fifty new fifty k new RR for the month. You're cheating a little bit, but you destroyed it. So you feel pretty good about hitting. Did you get thirty k the right way? You think here? Yeah, I, I you can do that math, and I did. I maybe made it sound too cryptic. I think it would have been right around thirty k if you take away those two temporary things that are that, that are kind of making us better. It's also another thing to consider here, like December is going to be zero or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, December is normally a terrible month for B2B SaaS, uh, at least in small business space. And then March, which is normally a very good month, might be 60. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing to consider is uh, this month probably should actually be right around average if you look at normal seasonal trends. It would be cool for this update if you put some t- like just quickly like put together a seasonal seasonal adjust seasonally adjusted forecast for December mm-hmm. um, or November uh, just real quick like and and have the number like it's not 30k it's not it may not be 50k maybe something else maybe 35k okay. and then report it on whether you hit that or not because you have what's cool about this update is you have three you've you've identified three metrics that matter mm-hmm. new ARR added ARPU and RPE and ARPU is average revenue per user and RPE is revenue per employee. What, and, and all, but all these things went up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah. that, you know, you, you, you went up 50 ARR went 20 K above what your third, you know, maybe what you were, you were last month or it went up 50 K over what you were last month, um, which mm-hmm. was, I guess, zero, you know, on a, on a, on a run rate, ARR run rate basis. Um, ARPU went up by eight cents. RPE went up by $3,000. So everything's up, but is it up enough? Um, is it, 
I guess in, in a startup to last business, this is where like I have a, a topic we want, I want to explore with you sometime, which is what, is it really goals that you set or is it forecasts and yeah. but, like, what are the projections? How are you doing what relative to what you were planning to do? I think would be interesting. I really like, I think it would be interesting, but if you're not doing a plan, it's not possible to do that. Right. And this is something I question with myself is how much of a plan should you have? Um, if you're not doing well enough, you have to be disciplined about this stuff. But a part of me does think with the startup class mentality, you don't have to stress out about this if, if it's not something that brings you joy. And I think some people really are motivated by money and the numbers and stuff like that. But I, a part of me is kind of like, as long as the numbers are good enough, 30,000 ARR growth is good enough. As long as the numbers are good enough, I think investing all my energy into other stuff is how these numbers go up rather than like, setting, you know, benchmarks and forecasts and goals and stuff for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Which maybe makes this update worthless because I'm just gonna I, be like, here's some numbers. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm, I think that's where I get, it's like, if, I mean, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's a good month if you don't have any, you know, projections, like it's, it's, it's a month. Um, so that's fair. I, so, but if like I do, I, I would just make the case for why you should just put a little bit of energy into a back of the napkin. Um, and, and I, because I, oops, I accidentally made Siri talk to me. Um, so, and here's why. So you you should. Here's why you. I'm going to say you should. You should um, at the, before every month, and even at the beginning of the year, probably have some sort of rolling 18 month forecast of here's what your ARR is going to be. You know, at the beginning of the month, here's what your ARR is going to be at the end of the month, and here's what you expect to add by month. And it should be adjusted based on the seasonal, you know, aspects of your business, so that it's an accurate forecast. And then every at the end of every month or quarter, whatever you're comfortable with, you know, you should you know put in the actuals and say, "I got that right. I got that wrong." Um, and then ask yourself, "Why did I get that right? Why did I get that wrong?" And you're doing this in your own way right now, but from an outsider perspective, looking at it, it's hard to follow what, what you're doing. Yeah, um, and so it could it could actually help by 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 doing that it could actually help other people understand your business better. Not that you need that because you have no investors. Yeah, and yeah, so I, I am doing that. It's just instead of a forecast, it's a what do I have to hit, um, and then anything else above that's fine. Yeah, one of the reasons I probably don't do that is the reality is none of the things I do impact these numbers directly. Um, I mean, indirectly, of course, right? Like if the business is doing well, we should be making more money. But I think there are some founders who are much more sales and marketing focused than I am, where it's like, well, I didn't give the input that I needed for this to happen. The reality is like one of the number one biggest things that determines if we have a good month or not, AdWords prices fluctuate wildly, like outside of our control. Just, I think it's because other companies have like their marketing budgets get spent at certain times, but like we don't, we just have a monthly spend. Um, so it'll be like September was a great month for AdWords for us. We change absolutely nothing. October, the cost per click doubles. And you could look at that and be like, well, October sucked, I guess, but I didn't do anything. You know, it just, th this is the universe doing it to me. So like, I think that measuring stuff like that is more important if it impacts my actions. You know what I mean? Yes, the only and I agree with you. The caveat that I'm the point I'm trying to make is there's a, being having a predict being able to predict how your business will perform in the future is a critical um, becomes more critical as you scale um, because you have other people that you worry about and the precision with which you f forecast the future as you grow needs to be greater and greater and uh, to to avoid a disaster um, and. So having some sort of system to force yourself to get more precise with your uh, yeah. prediction of how your business will perform, the further out you are, like imagine like if, if you could predict for your business today based on, you know, pretty precisely what would happen, you know, in 18 months, you probably can't right now because there's a lot of variables or maybe you can. Yeah. I don't, I don't even, even if you hired the best CFO in the world, I don't think they could, which I think that's that's where the difference is here because our input doesn't determine our output. We're I think we're doing what you're saying, but instead of saying we're going to predict, 
We're saying, here's what it needs to be. And then we can say, do we do, we do better or worse? But Because, I mean, the, the, I don't know. An 18-month prediction words. at any business is wrong. Oh, totally, totally. Uh, we're mincing words then. I think that, that whatever you call it, what we need to hit, let's just report. I think if you do this update again in November or December, it would be interesting um, to hear, you know, you say, here's what we wanted to hit for each one of these. And here's what we actually hit. And you did that for the, the, the revenue one. But what was the, like, what was, what did you need to hit for the ARPU and what did you hit? Oh yeah. ARPU. I, I mean, is all, both of the other ones derived from revenue, like revenue per employee. You can just, what was our ARR growth true, divided true. by 19 and that's well, your ARP, you could potentially have your ARPU, um, you could potentially, there is a scenario where your ARPU doesn't grow, but your revenue does. Uh, if you have a lot of, the reverse ex- is true. If you have a lot of expansion or, from your existing client base and don't add a lot oh, of new yeah, clients. Yeah. That's fair. That could, yeah, that one really is largely outside of our control. I, it's, it's really just, we churn $10 users, we add $15 users and it kind of happens, but, um, so maybe you could argue that that shouldn't be one of the numbers I'm talking about. It it only is in the sense that this price increase is new for me. And so it's been for 11 years, $10 every month. <laughs> no, I'm starting to come full circle on this. So it's like, okay, you're, you're, the high level growth metric here is ARR. It's like, listen, we performed 50K, 50K against a 30K uh, forecast uh, or base, base goal, um, whatever you want to say it, um, which is great. And then, you know, to see kind of the makeup of what that's, how that's affecting, um, you know, the value of that revenue for our business, you know, we look at ARPU to see how the makeup of our client base is doing and it's up eight cents. Um, it'd be nice to know what we, what you planned on it being. Uh, and I, I had made a guess, I guess two cents per week was my guess. We hit that. I mean, that's basically what eight cents in a month is, but I don't know. (laughs) And then our, our PE, you know, that's just a derivative, you know, we still can't hire someone. someone. It's it's a hiring goal. I, I like it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually simple once you understand it. Okay, cool. Well, uh, I appreciate thinking through that. And as as unsophisticated as all of this seems, it's more sophisticated than I was a year ago. And so just anyone listening, even 11 and a half or whatever, 11 plus years into the business, I'm still here. <laughs> um, so if, if anyone's like feels like they're in over their head with financial stuff, you know, you can get pretty far without really have, being very sophisticated. And I, I think one thing that you do is you actually don't realize how sophisticated you are. You just use different words to describe what a Mm. CFO uses to, you know, a CFO uses the language of accounting. You use the language of a business person, but the exercises you're going through are not too different, not too distant from what uh, a good financial leader would do. So, um, so what, what I wanted to say was, I think, I think how much money are you paying yourself? Like I, is this does this have any impact on you and what you're taking out of the company? What employees' uh, salaries, or is right, this right. is this sort of just a just a, a company number company update? Great point. So that's why I think RPE matters, and this was what I was, what I was talking about last week when I said we're going to start looking at revenue per employee as our uh, guiding light to say can we hire somebody. The reason is it builds in margin to pay everyone else more and, and t- take for the founders to take profit off the table as well. If you leave these all as separate variables, it's so complicated and hard to it's hard to make a judgment call like how aggressive should we be? How much should we reinvest back into the business? So what we're saying is it's arbitrary. This is just like a decision I made, but to simplify things, I want RPE to go up $10,000 per year. So I in the year of 2021 where we're approaching 160,000 RPE is the number we're going to have to hit to hire someone. And actually, it's we have to get above it after we hire them. We need to stay above 160. In 2022, it's going to be 170. In 2023, it's going to be 180. So that to, to answer your question, I think by doing it that way, it's not the most robust model, but it forces margin improvements and additional profit coming off the table each year. And then and gives us permission to say, okay, the, the remaining money, take that and go hire people. Cool. Great. Sounds like a good month. Yeah, no, it, it, I was very surprised by how good of them. One funny thing I found out, this has been happening for a few for like a year and I just hadn't noticed because I started paying attention to this more closely. We have one customer whose billing day is the first of the month. 
and um, they remove all inactive users on their account the day before, so on the last day of the previous month. So, and I, I couldn't, I just hadn't been paying attention. Every month, it looks like it's going to be really good. And then the final numbers come in, and it's just not, it's okay, but it's worse than it seemed like it was going to be a few days before the month ended. It's because this one big account removes like 20 users every month on the last day. And they, <laughs> they do that but to try to cheat the billing, or is it because they no, truly I, have turnover, that much turnover? It's, I don't think they're cheating anything. In, in a perfect world, our, our billing would prorate so that it wouldn't matter when they remove the users. But they're basically saying, we don't want to pay for the next month for users that aren't logging in. But they do it, rather than doing it gradually over the course of the month, they're doing it all at once. And it just coincidentally, their billing days, most people's billing days are spread out throughout the month. Uh, these, these users, must, they must have a ton of turnover in there. Yeah, we have, we have a few accounts like this where sometimes people, these users will call us up and be like, they think we are their boss. They don't know who employs them. Because it's you know like some boiler room somewhere, and we're like, you gotta call your boss about this. I don't know, like I don't know, how, you just got hired. <laughs> I can't help you. Sorry. <laughs> oh man, when when you when you call your CRM company and think that they, that somehow they're involved in managing you, then you don't have the context you need to succeed at your job. Let's just put it that. Yeah, way. it's not an environment I would love to be a part of, but because we're so cheap. Most of our bigger accounts are kind of weird. Like that, we have a lot of our our sweet spot is small companies. But if a one hundred user company is using us, it's often because they're like a boiler room like that. Can you imagine uh, calling customer less annoying customer uh, less annoying CRM customer support and saying, "Hey, can I take a day off tomorrow?" <laughs> I I wouldn't be shocked if it's happened. I've actually been thinking: should we build in like? ways for them to like set rules for their employees in the CRM and just we're not going to of course because that's not our target customer but I think there's something there <laughs> well this goes uh, back to the multi-level marketing stuff that we talked about in the mm-hmm, past where it was mm-hmm. you could build a business in a box software for you know to manage an MLM is actually kind of interesting yeah um I have one other update man we're, we're running long with these updates here do you have anything else on your mind you really want to talk about or should mm-hmm. I no take the rest of the time cool so uh, I've been thinking, this is actually kind of related to what I was just saying. Um, we've I, I mentioned a while ago, we've got these two really, really big accounts, like $100,000 uh, ACV annual contract value accounts, which is to be like our average account is 2.3 users. These are both like 1,000 users, 1,000 users. So totally out of our normal scope. In working with them and getting those deals closed, they, understandably, there are a couple of features they need. Like our software is just not built to even list a thousand users in one place, you know, but it, it kind of got me thinking, I think there's some really low hanging fruit for us um, in not building for enterprise, like true enterprise, but building just for multi-user accounts instead of like 70% of our customers are individuals. So anyway, I've been going through the exercise of kind of thinking like, what is a 10 to 20 user account need? And, and like, what are the easiest things we could do to really just... I assume a lot of the, not a lot, but some 20 user accounts are coming into our free trial. They don't add the users, so we never know who they are. They're looking at our features and they're like, just, just doesn't quite have it. I'm trying to think, what could we do to just get one of those per month to actually convert, you know? So anyway, this is just an update on what I'm working on, but I've, I've been playing around with a lot of Teams feature designs, making user permissions simpler, maybe even building a little bit of uh, internal communication type stuff. Do you think that would matter? I don't have enough. This would be all be customer development for me. Like, so yeah. what are your customers, like, what are your customers telling you? I mean, a lot of people ask, all of these things are things people ask for. Um, and a lot of people ask for it and then don't pay because we say no. I am, I'm always skeptical, even with customer development, sometimes it's hard to say because, so like, let, let me give you an example. Prior to the beginning of this year, we did not have Outlook Calendar Sync. We only had Google Calendar Sync. Outlook tends to be a more popular tool for the bigger accounts that use us. So almost every big account we talked to was like, do you have Outlook Sync? That's really important for us. We built it. Did that cause any of them to to subscribe at a higher rate? No. Because the reality is there were 50 things we didn't have. That was the first one on their list. that we And we said no to that. And that was the end of the discussion. Um, so we get a lot of requests for these. I don't know, are there 50 other things? I'm kind of interested just more generally, though. Do you think product-led growth works 
to get larger account sizes. I know it works with small ones. I know with our, our one, two, three user accounts, if we add the right feature or whatever, we get them. But do we just, I, I, a part of my head, I'm just thinking we just need a sale or we're not going to have a sales team. But like, if we don't have a sales team, we're never going to get these accounts is kind of what I'm thinking. What's the question? Do you think that users will expand to teams, teams to ex- expand to companies? Do you think product-led growth is a solution here, basically? For us, but just generally. Like a, like generally, when I say product-led growth, I'm refer- you're referring to something like, hey, uh, a, a solo guy at a company signs up for his personal use and then invites a, one, of his, one of the members on his team, and then there's this natural sort of expansion that happens uh, from inv- inviting additional users. And eventually I think you that's convert one that. type of it, but I, I guess like adding features is the main thing I'm talking about here. Just saying, these people are signing up. We don't have this, these features. If we add them, do we start converting them? Or is it like, no, we're just not set up to get these people? The only way to answer that question is to talk to the people who aren't signing up and say, and, and ask yeah. them mom test type questions and then build the features. Like, <laughs> hopefully you can get pretty confident on the customer interviews that, yeah, they would sign up and then you know, yeah. invite them to do so once you build the features. But just generally, I'm saying. I, I, I 100% agree with, but like... Do I believe that... F- yes, in general, I mean, this is going to sound a little bit flippant, but like, yeah, do I believe that when you people aren't signing up because of a lack of feature, when you add that feature... <laughs> feature we'll, we'll, we'll yes, yeah. Yeah. I, get, I could ask the question a different way, which is just like, okay, I know we're never going to get 1,000 user companies regularly. It's not in our DNA. We, we don't have an enterprise sales team. I mean, Alex is out there doing one-off things, but... It's not worth me trying to modify the product to appeal to a 1,000 user account. Um, Are you I, I don't know that, what or is that the a right. No, I know that. That's that's a statement. I don't even want to, honestly. Uh, sorry, I'm working through this topic as, as we go here. <laughs> Apologies. I guess part of what I'm just thinking it sounds is like, like you got one. You, you got your greed guy on your right shoulder saying, mm-hmm. "Come on, Tyler, let's get more 1,000. Let's get bigger accounts." Um, and then you got the the you know the you know, the, the, the real Tyler, you, you sitting here going, Tyler, that's not what less knowing CRM is about. Okay. So sorry, that helps give me clarity here. I know I want bigger accounts. I don't want 70% of our accounts to be single users. If for no other reason, then you can't provide as much value to a single user account. Like a big part of what I want to do is collaboration and, you know, helping people work together. If you don't work with anyone, you can't do that. Uh, I guess I'm struggling with figuring out what is the number that I should be shooting for as our sweet spot. And you're going to tell me, and you're going to be right. You can't answer that. I need to go figure that out for myself. But I guess I'm just trying to think through, like, should I be, how, how should I even reach that decision? I know it's not a thousand users. That's too big. I, I think there's probably, for now, there's probably, you know, a, when when adding f- features for the Comp- the large company starts detracting from the value of your existing customers um, is probably the line. And if that is never, then you can take it as large as you want to go. But at some point... Just have your cake and eat it too, you're saying. Yeah. like I think like at the end of the day, the, the, the barrier is here. Is like if you start adding stuff for this, let's just take this 1,000-person company that's onboarding, and you add something for them um, to make them happy, does it also make your one user happy? Does it Or does it detract from their happiness? Um, I think those are the types of things that you're going to have to like, I think once that hits, yeah. that's probably the roadblock in which your values would say, stop. The framework I've been using for thinking about this is we, we would never build something for a big account that we think makes it worse for the small ones. But the reality is it, do, it doesn't impact them at all. They'll just never even be aware that this thing exists. But the way we justify this, because our mission as a business is to help small businesses succeed. It's not to help this thousand person company. Succeed. How do you define small businesses? Right. Well, that's part of what I'm asking here, I guess. So um, 500 is what, so if I have yeah, 500 employees <laughs> is what the U.S. government defines as right. small businesses. Uh, I mean, I, my, my intuition is 10 to 20, but okay. So, so let, with a, with a 500,000 person account, we always say, if you want to come along and give us money, we'll do it. But we need to know not just that we're making money, but we're making enough money that the time we're sinking into this we can buy more time in the form of hiring employees or whatever to then invest in the small businesses, right? If a thousand user account signs up, whatever time we spend on them, we need to get it paid back to re. We need to think this actually in the long term is going to help our small business customers. That's not true with a 20 user account though. Like those are small businesses. I can just serve those outright, but I'm not sure. I guess it's just a, I don't, I don't even know what I'm asking here. It's like, 
I should just start on five. Like if our average is 2.3 users, I should just go to 2.4. <laughs> I don't know that you know the answer to that. I would say start talking to the people who aren't buying you because they're too big. And maybe that's yeah. five person companies, 25 person companies, but the people you've got, I think what we're really talking about here is forget their 1000s. Those are one offs. They're going to come or they're not going to come. You're going to have to deal with those on a one-off basis. That's why you have the, that's why a lot of companies have this enterprise pricing call for, you know, quote, right. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, you're dealing with those one-offs, but let's, let's actually talk about your existing funnel. So let's say you've got, um, I don't know, a thousand, a hundred companies coming through that funnel on a day. Um, you know, some percentage of them are not converting, uh, from to free trial maybe. And some of them are converting to free trial, but then not converting to a paid sign up. Some percentage of those people who are not signing up, let's just call it, what's your, I don't remember your numbers, but let's just call it like 10 of those users represent companies that have five plus employees. Um, those, those 10 people are not signing up for some reason. I would start talking to them and figuring out why they're not signing up. Is it because they have five users? Is it because they have 25 users? Is it because something else? And I think you'll start to answer these questions uh, through, through talking to customers. Yeah. Okay. The boring answer is always the right one. You're, you're absolutely right. And also, I just wasted 15 minutes talking about getting to such an obvious answer, but <laughs> I appreciate that. It's funny how, how many times the most comp- the complicated things that you get in your head about and you go, go back and forth. We've had this happen multiple episodes where yeah. usually it's me in the situation of like, oh, should I do this? I'm just going to actually call five of my customers and ask them and see what they say. And then based on what they say, I'm going to make a decision. And Yeah. I, I will say one, one additional approach here is to say, what are our current bigger accounts and how do we serve them better? Um, it might not necessarily impact sales, but that that's a pretty good guiding light, I think. Yeah, I would, there's three segments of of customers you should you should identify. First are your existing customers who you want more of, and maybe it's mm-hmm. you have ten of them. Go talk to them. Then there's the potential customers that are the people that you have their email address, but they didn't become customers for some reason that fit in that t- that same um, segment of customer size. And then there's the people that have never had any interaction with less annoying CRM, but they're people you know out there who might be willing to talk to you of the same size. So you can get kind of the completely unbiased type, uh, uninfluenced type answers. And and, uh, if you can interview, generally, this is a product marketing um, concept. Generally, if you look at the pie of the market for that group of customers, you're going to draw a line from the you know the the circle line to the um, center point, um, or the radius basically, and that's going to represent your existing customers. Then you're going to draw another line right next to that line, and that's going to re- represent your potential customers. And you've got this huge sea of customers that have never had any interaction with your brand that represent the market that you're going after. And you want to make sure that you have uh, people when you're making decisions like this. You want to make sure that you have conversations with people with uh, potential with, with, with target customers from each of those groups. I think that's great advice. Although I'm going to ignore the third group and here's why it's because I'm not trying to do like product validation for a new startup. I've got, if we have to go out and do a whole new thing, I don't even want to do it. This is, can we get some percentage of the people who are already coming to us? Can we, can we just uh, appeal a little bit more to them? But in general, I, I totally think that's the right way to go. Totally. Yep. The only thing I might push back there on is if you might be able to clarify something that your potential customer, the people that you already have brand, like have been tainted by your brand are saying that isn't true because they've been tainted by your brand. So there's, that's interesting. there, There is like some sort of like value in just getting some validation for, you know, even though you're not going to go after that market. I think that's a very good point. If I were not the introvert that I am, I'd go do that. <laughs> <laughs> the real truth, com- the truth I, comes out. Oh, I love talking to people that come to me and I hate going to them. <laughs> well, this is the exact anxiety I feel about going out, switching to customer acquisition. It's like, you got to really, once you when you have to go out to people on market um, and it's not automated, it's not a robot, it's not, uh, it's, it's definitely something you got to, you know, gear up for, uh, emotionally. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, thanks for talking through that with me. I think, uh, I'm, I got more topics, but we should probably save it for next week. Oh, I'd love to hear about this Google voice thing. Cause I have not noticed it. 
Oh, yeah, this is super minor. Just you and I have complained about Google Voice before and how, like, is this product abandoned, yes or no? And the the icon just changed, or at least the little favicon thing that shows up in, like, the Chrome tab if you have it open in your web browser. And this is one of those things where all other signs point to Google Voice being an abandoned product. But then someone designed a new icon for it, and it gives you that little bit of hope that Google cares about Google Voice and I just can't, I don't know what to make of it. Does Is Google investing in Google Voice or is it abandoned? I can't tell. I know that it, they're investing in it because I just upgraded. I, I, I pay for Google Voice. Yeah, like, I use it, but it's it hasn't changed in years aside what from did, like It very, just did. What, what just changed aside from the logo? That's what just changed. That's what you're saying. Yeah, but they did. But, but Google did that for, I think, every product. Yeah. Uh, so. I mean, that's why they did it. But like nothing functional about the product has changed in like 10 years. I just want them to open up their API. That's all I ask. It's not happening. <sighs> there's there's no way they're adding an API for this. I, I think the product's abandoned. Well, I, I think it's bizarre they even charge for it because like that gives them customers that they have to, you know, that are going to yell at them later. Anyway. Oh, Google. They keep letting us down and yet we keep giving them second chances. All right. Well, um, I'm I'm not as down on them as you are. <laughs> I'm I'm hopeful. Um, all right, hey everyone, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And uh, if you'd like to review past topics or show notes, visit startuptolast.com. I'll see you next week, Tyler. See ya.